Well, today is Christmas Eve, and there's no better time for Christmas to fall than on a Monday, because it means that today, Sunday, is, is Christmas Eve. It, it means that we spend Sunday morning together here thinking about Christmas Eve, and Sunday night spend about Christmas Eve, and Christmas Eve is where, where all the action took place, where Mary and Joseph, right, searched for a place to stay, and where Mary had her baby, and when the uh, angels appeared to the shepherds, and the shepherds came to see the baby Jesus. It was all on, on this day, on Christmas Eve. Now, of course, these things didn't really happen on December 24th. I had a discussion with my son. He said, uh, I said, so what, what's up? Why does snow always have to be Christmas Eve? I was trying to figure that out, because it, it, didn't, it didn't snow, I don't think, when Jesus was uh, being born. And and SR is like, Dad, but Jesus, of course, wasn't born on December 24th. And I said, I, I don't know. We don't know when he was born. But, but anyway, it's not December 24th. But in our church calendar, we do celebrate. This is Christmas Eve is today when we celebrate. And these events did happen. Mary and Joseph did travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And she had a baby. And the angel did appear. And we celebrate that on December 24th every time, and uh, so we're going to celebrate today, and I want to celebrate by, by reading the Christmas story, so if you haven't done so already, I invite you to take your, open your Bibles, open them to page 500 and 857 in your pew Bibles, if you don't have, uh, didn't bring a Bible, if you don't have a Bible at home, take that home, it's our gift to you, you can read that, I would encourage you to do. Uh, our text is 8 through 14 of Luke chapter 2, um, but just to catch the whole context Of the whole Christmas story, I'm going to begin reading in Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2, rather, verses 1 and following. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time for her to give birth, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear, and the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This chapter begins with a a Roman census. 
the census that uh, went out from Caesar Augustus. And, and this was not so unlike the census of, of our country, which we take every decade. Uh, our government wants to understand who, what, who's, who's in our country and wants to understand how it can tax all of us. And uh, what's different, however, about the census then was that everyone was required to register in their own town. Of course, that's not our registration. We don't have to go back to where we were born in order to register. Uh, we can just register and fill out census data of, of where we are. But having to go back to your own town brought Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, the city of David, for they're both of the, the line of David. They lived in Nazareth, which was northern uh, Israel, and uh, they had to travel about 80 miles south in order to get to, uh, um, to Bethlehem without the nice roads and without cars. It is about, an 80, about a, a several-day hike is really what it was. And what's so interesting about this hike is really what was going on behind the scenes. Because on the one hand, you got this story, and it seems coincidental in many ways, but it was prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5.2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, from you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from days of old. But see, this baby Messiah was going to come from Bethlehem, but Joseph and Mary were in Nazareth, and, and they're not going to go down to Bethlehem for vacation, and uh, certainly with her being pregnant, there, there's nothing that would push them to go down there. The only thing would be an edict from the civil authorities and probably responsibilities if they didn't get down there to, to register. But here's a question, right? Why did Caesar Augustus make this decree? Well, on a human level, certainly there are tax things. Um, but why would he do this that affects the whole empire, that would, that would come at cost to him to figure out who is, who is in his, uh, his kingdom? And really the fundamental reason is because God needed to get his earthly parents, Mary and Joseph, from Nazareth to Bethlehem. An amazing thing it is, has some great implications for our lives. I was reading through the Solid Joys uh, devotional I put out in the Weekly Word, just about John Piper, and just he was reading through these things. And this is one of the things he said about this passage here. He said, a decree for the entire world in order to move two people 70 miles. Have you ever felt like me, little and insignificant in a world of 7 billion people where all the news about is about big political and economic and social movements and outstanding people with global significance and loss of power and prestige? If you have, well, don't let it make you disheartened or unhappy, for it is implicit in Scripture that all the mammoth political forces and all the giant industrial complexes, without their even knowing about it, are being guided by God, not for their own sake, but for the sake of God's little people, little Mary and little Joseph, who have to be got from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And God wields an entire empire to fulfill His word and to bless His children. As Proverbs 21, verse 1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever He will, and He's always turning it for His saving and sanctifying and eternal purposes among His people. That's what John, John Piper is just talking about. He, he, he affects the lives of a nation. Because he's got two people he's got to get down to Bethlehem. He's wielding an empire to fulfill his word and to bless his children. And that's what's so interesting about this, uh, this census and uh, to get down to be registered, what's going on behind the scene. Well, when Mary and Joseph arrive in Bethlehem, 
It is soon time for her to give birth. And verse 7 tells the story. And she gave birth to her firstborn and, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And here it is. God entered our world. Not as a hero, but as an illegitimate child. Not as a king, but as a peasant boy. Not of parents of influence, but to ordinary folks. Not in comfort, but in a barn and placed in a, a manger. It's described in verses 18 through 14. And it's right here that I want to share another video. Uh, for those of you who've been here, you know that this Christmas season, I'm, I'm just seeking to highlight this classical text, this classical piece of music from Handel's Messiah. And it's not because I'm fond of the music style, okay? I mean, because so I was watching these this week, it's kind of like, that's, I don't know. It's not, it's not my taste of music, I guess it's mostly not yours, but it is part of our culture, and it is something worthy of us to, to know about and to understand about, um, because it's been a part of our culture for 250 years, it's good to be familiar with it, I would encourage you, if you have a chance, to go and attend it, because it's just the scripture, it gives you a, a, an opportunity really to worship the Lord in a great way, the, the Handel's Messiah is in three parts, the first part deals with birth and the beginning parts of his ministry, and the second part deals with his sufferings and his death and his resurrection. And the third part deals with his, uh, his glory after the resurrection. And of course, this Christmas season, we've been looking at part one. And we've just been pulling the verses pertaining to the Messiah. Um, and, and we come here and we saw Isaiah 40, we looked at Isaiah 9 and kind of some other passages. And today, Luke 2 is a good part uh, of the section of, of part 1. And, and this, this section, particularly here, verses 8 through 14, are unique in Handel's Messiah in that they're not so much sung, um, is that they're more recited. Um, they are, they are, they're just kind of spoken, is what they are. And, and by the way, also, this is the only account in the Gospels of kind of the life of Jesus, the narrative of Jesus uh, that's given. There are some other Gospel references. We're going to see one from Matthew 11 today. There's another one from John 1. Uh, but those are just kind of just Jesus talking or John the Baptist talking. But this is the only one that contains any narrative of what was, what was taking place. And in this one, there's no repetition. I didn't have to cut this down. Well, I did kind of when the choir starts singing. But I didn't cut the first part down because it was just a, a kind of a chant, if you will, through this whole Christmas story, and I think it's good to be familiar with it. So endure the, the difference of the, the culture of the sound. It is, it is well done. Um, Luke 2, 8 through 14. So let's play it, see if this works. There was shepherds abiding in the field, keeping Thank you. 
that? Some birth announcement, huh? The angels coming and uh, you're seeing all this to the, the shepherd. You know, a friend of mine had a baby this week and uh, I texted him and said, are you a grandpa yet? And uh, he said, not yet, but then within uh, 24 hours he texted me and this is what I got by way of his announcement. Baby came this morning at 3 a.m., healthy mom and baby doing good, followed by a smiley face emoji. That's like all I've got. I haven't talked to him since then. But this, this is a birth announcement. Far more glorious than just a text and a, and a scripture. Uh, a text and an emoji, rather. Okay, so this morning I'm going to take verses 8 through 14 in three points. Real simple. First, we see the angelic appearance. The angelic appearance comes in verses 8 and 9. We see an angel of the Lord appearing. Uh, probably his name is Gabriel because here he's identified as an angel of the Lord. That's the same designation given to the angel that appeared to Zechariah, um, who later then identified himself as Gabriel. And furthermore, the angel that visited Mary was identified as Gabriel as well. So this is probably the, the same one. This is probably Gabriel who's appearing to the shepherds. One angel out there, and as he appeared to these shepherds who were out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Now you need to understand about these, these shepherds that these were basically nobodies. They were common laborers, had no great standing among the sons of men. They were insignificant uh, sort of common laborers, uh, field workers perhaps. They, they, many gave shepherds little or no recognition. Maybe you remember in the days of the Exodus when Joseph's family moved back to Egypt and uh, they were relegated to the place of Goshen, which is away from the Egyptians because every shepherd was loathsome to the Egyptians. It's kind of the culture of the day, a loathsome thing. Or remember when Samuel came to anoint the future king of Israel, all, all the, um, the, the sons of Jesse were there, except David was the one out doing the menialist of tasks, which was shepherding right out there, performing the, the sheep, the thankless task delegated to the youngest. So these were insignificant men, and they were uh, working the night shift, as verse 8 says. They were out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, and certainly, if you watched through the night, there'd be some rotation probably among the, uh, the shepherds, that there would be some sleeping and some awake, and then some would wake up, and then they'd sleep, and kind of like you'd watch through the night as a, as a military watchman, you'd probably do some th- same things. And, and they'd sleep there probably on the hard ground, or, or perhaps maybe they'd get a tent, or maybe the open air somehow. And um, the task which they're called was, was not a great task. It was a dirty and thankless task to watch over these sheep. We don't know the name of, of any of these men on the outskirts of the small little town of, of Bethlehem. It's not a significant town. Nothing great or, or grand about that town. And even the prophet Micah said it was too little to be numbered among the clans of Judah. It's almost like, well, that city's too small. Let's just kind of forget about that city. We don't need to count that one. And yet, to these insignificant group of men on the outskirts of an insignificant little city, came one of the most significant messages of all time. The first public proclamation to anybody in the world that the Savior had indeed arrived. And, and who's privileged to see it? But common shepherds. You see, that's, that's the way God is. That God looks to the lonely. Isaiah 66 verse 2 says that God looks to the one who is humble and contrite of spirit. And it trembles at my word. And the whole Christmas story really is about humility. As Mary and Joseph weren't significant people. They weren't nobility. They weren't fine. He was a, a laborer. 
The shepherds weren't significant people, but that's, that's how God works. He uses insignificant people to accomplish His will upon the earth. You simply need to read the Magnificat, which is Mary's song of praise to see her humility. And just, uh, she calls herself a, a lowly servant. But here this angel's appearance to the, the shepherds was certainly startling. Verse 9 tells us that the glory of the Lord shone around them. So picture the situation, right? These, these shepherds outside this village on a small countryside hill overlooking their flock. It's dark, no street lights in those days, no city lights in those days, quiet, right far away from everyone, didn't have any city sounds, uh, sheep probably lying down, sleeping in for the night, fellow shepherds sleeping, maybe a quiet wisping of the wind, maybe a, a, a trickling of the nearby stream, the type of, of scene that causes droopy eyelids, like nothing much is happening through through the night shift. I, I remember working the night shift as, a, as a, a computer worker at a hospital, and I hated the night shift. I mean, it seemed like, man, from, from 3 to 5 and 6 in the morning, it seemed like it never would end. It was always really hard. I, I never really much liked it. My appreciation goes out to you, Betty, who worked that all the time. Anyone who works the night shift, my compassion goes to you. And, and, but these are in the, the laziness part of the night, and suddenly, verse 9 says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, if you don't know anything about the glory of the Lord, you know that it is magnificent and it is dazzling. I mean, every picture we have of heaven is a, of, this, of this throne that's white and, and bright and shiny. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that God dwells in unapproachable light. It's just who God is. And, and the contrast of the light with the darkness would have made it appear brighter still. And they looked up to see what the light was, and their, their eyes probably would have struggled to see exactly what it was. And, and then they, they saw this angel, and it's enough to create this heart-pounding sort of fear. And verse t- 9 tells us that indeed they were filled with fear. That's why the first words out of the angel's mouth was this, fear not, because he knew that they were afraid. These were words of comfort. And in fact, that is my second point. We have the, the appearance, but now we have the angelic message which begins with comfort and then verse 11 speaks about the good news and verse 12 then speaks also about the sign here's what the angel said here's here's the message he said this fear not for behold i bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people for unto you is born this day in the city of david a savior who is christ the lord and this will be a sign for you you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and wrapped in a manger Verse 10 is a, is a message of comfort. <clears throat> the first thing out of his mouth was, don't be afraid. It's easy to say, it's hard to do. Bright light in the darkness, voice coming from the sky, unusual event, was fearful. In fact, if something like this happened to you, I, I promise you that there, you would be fearful of what just took place. The great comfort, however, comes really in the next phrase, right? Fear not, that's a, that's a command of comfort, right? But here's the next phrase, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The good reason not to fear is because the angelic appearance wasn't for judgment. The angelic appearance was for a blessing. The angel wasn't coming as a foe, he was coming as a friend, and he was coming with good news. And he was coming with good news that would bring great joy. And there is a correlation between good news and great joy. 
If you hear good news, great joy should follow. Like, like for instance, right, your, your boss gives you a Christmas bonus, and, and you go home, and uh, with a smile on your face, good news, honey, boss gave us a Christmas bonus, $2,000, look at this, and what ensues in the family? Great joy, right? Because good news brings great joy. Or a letter you receive in the mail, you, you college students, high school students, of acceptance to college. And a financial package, which exceeds your expectations. You got that letter, and it's good news. And what comes in the house? Especially the parents who are going to pay the tuition. <laughs> it's great joy, right? Or a phone call from your daughter who's just given birth to your first granddaughter, right? You, you weep for joy. It's how good news works, right? With good news comes great joy. And then there's the comfort. Don't fear, I'm coming with a blessing. And then we see really the heart of the good news explained in verse 11. For unto you is born this day, in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Boy, we could pick apart every single word in this verse about, about this is the day, which we will quite a bit, but, but the city of David, we could expand upon that. What it means that he's a Savior, what it means that he's Christ, what it means that he is the Lord. And we'll just, we'll just start picking off some of these. But what a great word this was to the shepherds, and really for all of, of Israel, who were waiting for this day. They were longing for the day that the Messiah would come. They were in, at this point, a period of silence. God had not appeared to speak with any prophet for 400 years. Malachi wrote the last word, and it it spoke about his his messenger coming to prepare the way of the Lord, and then it's been 400 years since anything had come. But they were waiting, and they were waiting, and finally this day had dawned. There there were some people waiting in the context. Luke chapter 2, in verse 25 tells about a man named Simeon. He was in Jerusalem, and he was a righteous and devout man. And here it is. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the visitation of the Messiah. He, he was waiting for these, this time. And, and he was so blessed that he got to see the baby Jesus before he died. Uh, there's another one, Anna, in uh, verse 36. There's a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years after she was a virgin, and then was a widow until she was 84 years old. So she was, picture an 84-year-old woman. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she gave thanks to God and speak to him, all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. See, there, there was this waiting in Israel. like They were anticipating this, this Messiah to come and in here in, in Luke chapter 2 and verse 11, we see the good news of the, the Messiah coming. And the shepherds were the first to, to see the day. Now, they weren't looking at, for it like Simeon and Anna were eagerly anticipating the Messiah coming. They weren't really looking for it. They are just kind of out in the field doing their thing, and it came upon them. And how like God that is when we're not even looking for it is when God appears and shows himself to us. And what a great blessing for these these uh, shepherds to hear this good news of something you waited for to finally arrive. Have you ever have you ever experienced that? Like this day you're just longing for and just waiting for, and when it finally arrives, there's there's great joy. There's, there's a day I'm looking forward to. I'm not sure exactly when it's going to be. Okay, I think it's maybe maybe this May. All right, when my son Sr graduates from college, maybe. Okay, you ask him, and he goes, I don't know, right? Are you going to graduate in May? <laughs> okay, well, maybe, it's, maybe it'll be next May. We're, we're not exactly sure, but when he graduates from college, 
there's going to be great joy in my heart. In fact, I've told him on several occasions, when he walks across that, that podium and, and walks across and receives his diploma, there's going to be a voice in that crowd that's louder than anybody's voice has ever been before. It's his dad just praising and thanking uh, the, the Lord for what the miracle that just took place. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you know, it's, it's our, he struggles with school, but he's getting through it, and we, we're... We hope so. I hope. But that's a day I'm looking forward to. And, and I, I hope it comes. And so like <clears throat> the shepherds are hearing this day. It's like, yes, the day has come. Maybe children. May, maybe you know of a day like that. Are you waiting for a day like that, kids? You think so? You think so? What, what's today again? I forgot. It's, uh, it's Christmas Eve. Oh, so tomorrow is, is Christmas morning. I remember as a child just waiting, waking up 4 o'clock in the morning, right, waiting for just that time when I could go down and just see what, what had been brought. Well, in, in our house, we have a, a custom. Uh, we have this thing that, that hangs in our house. Right, our, kids, our kids are looking at this now. You guys know what this is, right? We pull it out every Thanksgiving, and we hang it on the wall. And it, it just hangs there, <clears throat> and I'm not sure you can see it, but but there are little Velcro pads, and we got little we got little Joseph and Mary here, and they start way up here in probably Nazareth, and that's for December first, and December second is right here, and it just moves, and and this one is is red. Do you know why that one's red? <laughs> why is that one red? That's his birthday. That's SR's birthday, December 13th. So that one's red. And so, right, when they, Mary and Joseph are celebrating his birthday right now. That's where they are. And uh, then it goes all the way down. And so I'm not sure whether this is 25. Okay. We've lost that now. Anyway, you, you, you get the idea. But here's the amazing thing. This is in our house, and I never touch it. But somehow, magically... This Mary and Joseph just move all the way down this path. And I don't think I've ever touched it, but it always just happens. And uh, I think, David, you're laughing right now. I think you're the one that moves it every day probably, right? Every day it gets moved. I never see him move it, but it always moves. Why? Because there's anticipation for the day when Mary and Joseph reach that 25th day, that 25th step where, where right they are. And, and when it arrives... In a similar way, in some regards, Israel was looking for that day when the Messiah would come. Last week, we looked at Isaiah 9. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. See, they, they knew this day was prophesied when the daughters of Zion would rejoice greatly and shout in triumph. Because they were told, Zechariah 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, our King is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is He. Now, now Zechariah 9 is talking about when Jesus comes in, the triumphal entry on the donkey into Jerusalem. And yet the principle is the same, right? When the day of salvation comes, a day of rejoicing. And this Zechariah 9 passage is one that Handel was... Uh, we'll put to music as well in Handel's Messiah. And so if we can look at that passage as well. It's Zechariah 9, right? Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. And the idea here is of just the, the coming. Your, your king is coming to you and you are, are rejoicing and you're, uh, 
You're happy for that time to come. So, is that we're going to get that one, the second one? Is it working? Ah, good, it's working. Praise, praise the Lord. Zechariah 9, 9 and 10. <clears throat> okay, maybe we can start that again, okay, here. Okay, we're good. about showing these songs like this is a family worship this past week David wanted to read the scripture in operatic voice and so I said no I didn't get to hear that but you could maybe I should have, have let him at some point but but there it is the right the rejoicing of the day the Savior comes speaking peace to the nations or speaking peace to the heathen it's a time of great rejoicing when the Savior is born unto us is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this, this is the greatest news of all, right? The Savior has come. He's come to rescue us. It's been said if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need would have been money, He would have sent an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, he would have sent to us an entertainer. But our, our greatest need was for forgiveness. And so he sent us a Savior. And that's who Jesus is. He's described in this verse as a Savior. You say, well, how can he be your, your Savior? It's really quite easy. You just simply need to call out to him. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you confess Jesus the Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, right? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. A, a good picture of that is, is 911. In, in our culture today, if you're in danger, if you need some help, you just dial 911 and amazingly, right, help, help comes. And if you realize your danger, you, you just cry to God for forgiveness and that forgiveness comes. Your cry doesn't need to be eloquent. Have you ever heard recordings of 911 calls? It's like he's being frantic, help, 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 oh, husband, stop breathing, help, help, calm down, calm down, where do you live, help, help, I need help. It's just like frantic, right? Because there's such an awareness of the need that I need this Savior, I need you to come, and, and the operator just calm down, well, we're, we're on our way, what's your address, where are you, and, and kind of gets, gets a sense, of, and all you need with God is a similar sense of desperation. Just say, God, I'm a, 
I'm a sinner. I'm lost without you. I need to be saved. I need your help. Please come. Come and help me. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. It just needs to be even as, as simple as that. Just pleading Christ to wash your sins away. And the good news is this, that he's more dependable than any 911 call could be. And don't think that's just like a one-time call, like you, you need to just cry out once. It should be our continually crying out to God for mercy and grace and help and forgiveness. Oh God, be merciful every day, right? Oh God, be merciful to me today. I need your grace today. I, I, need, I need your help today. And the promise is Lamentations 3, right? His loving kindness is new every morning and his faithfulness has been true every night. We just call upon Christ He'll continue to show forth His grace and kindness to us. It's, it's every day. We know the cross of uh, the Christ is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I mean, there's a sense where we are, are saved when we cry out to God in our repentance and looking to Him, and there's a sense where all the time we're being saved. We're continuing to be saved until that day in which we are ultimately saved. So cry out to Him every day, constantly, just your need of help for Him. Well, there's a sign that comes. There's comfort in verse 10. There's a good news in verse 11. And then comes the sign. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, it sounds pretty far-fetched. It's not every day you're going to find a baby in a manger, right? We place babies in beds or on tables or on the floor or they're in our arms or they're on the shoulders. Like if this message had come, behold, you will, it's a sign for you. You'll find a baby in a mother's arms. Like, where are you going to find that? But there aren't many babies lying in a feeding trough. And indeed, that's exactly what the shepherds saw. That's exactly what they experienced. Look at verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds and said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. I love their heart of response, their heart of obedience. They, they weren't even told to, to go, per se. They said this would be a sign, but they said, let's go. And they went, verse 16, with haste. And found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And their sight of these things, simply a confirmation of everything that the angel had told them took place. Indeed, they could say, a Savior has been born for us in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord. You just think also about those, those terms. He's a, he's a Savior. We talked about that. He is Christ. That is the Messiah that is the anointed one. This is what Israel saw as the, as the one who is going to, to save them. He's also the Lord. That is, he's the sovereign one. He is the one who's going to come and rule us as king. And, and the anointed one is the one who rules. Remember, David was a king of Israel. But he was anointed first. He was anointed to rule and to reign. And so wrapped up in these three wonderful words, gives this picture. One is going to come and save us, and yet he's the anointed one by God who's going to rule and reign over us. Well, we've seen the angelic appearance, we've seen the angelic message, and now the angelic worship is simply what we're calling it in verses 13 and 14. And suddenly, after this angel had finished his message, Gabriel, he was joined by the choir. Kind of like today, when Ryan was up here in this choir, then of children joined him. This choir of, of angels, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. You have this multitude. We don't, we don't know the number of these angels who joined him in the choir. Maybe hundreds, maybe thousands, maybe million, millions. We don't exactly know, but 
my guess is whatever the number was, it was enough to overwhelm the shepherd. One angel is enough to overwhelm, much less a multitude of angels. In fact, you remember the, the clip I played of the Messiah earlier? I'm not sure if you, could, you saw that, but, but there was the soprano singing, and then when it got to glory to God, the whole choir stood up and began singing glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased, right? The, the whole choir transitioned, and, and, and Handel got it exactly right on that music, right? It just wasn't one angel, it was the many who had come, and their volume certainly at that point was, was greatly increased to get more attention, more what's going on, to bring these shepherds more in awe. It's no wonder they obeyed that heavenly vision after that. All the shepherds could do is watch and marvel. Now, what I love about these words is that, that it comes from the angels who have no participation in salvation. They don't need to be saved because angels are, are righteous. They don't need to be redeemed. They're sinless. They have no need of that. And yet, they have great joy in seeing God's saving grace come to mankind. Just a, just a, a great thought there of how, how the angels are rejoicing in, in us, right? If you, you remember um, Luke chapter 15 when, when Jesus is talking about the, the lost coin and the, um, the lost sheep and the, right, the, the lost son? And every time when it's found, what happens is there's great rejoicing at the finding of what is lost. And Jesus even said there's joy in, he, in heaven. There's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So the angels look at us and they, they watch us to know and to understand grace. It says in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, that angels long to look into our salvation because they don't experience it, but they know that we experience it, and they rejoice in that. And that's what's happening here. The angels are rejoicing, giving glory to God for the Savior that He is, is bringing. These words really speak of the, the glories of, of Christmas, that, that He is coming on earth, peace among those with whom He is pleased. That is, Isaiah called Him the, the Prince of Peace. And Jesus comes and brings the way to bring peace with God. Right? Our sins have brought us an, an alienation from God. And, and we need some kind of bridge to get back to God. And Jesus is the bridge to bring us back to God. He's, he's the way to God. We simply need to believe in Him. And this Christmas season, may it not leave us unbelieving. I know the reality of uh, like this Messiah performance. Um, I don't know anything about the people here. Uh, just even suspect there's a lot of pride in that. These people probably aren't even Christians, many of the people performing that. It's kind of just how it is. They can perform this piece and speak with their words, speak with their mouth, and yet their heart is far from the Lord. And what a shame it is. They're singing great truths, and yet uh, and this, this was filmed. Uh, the one reason I grabbed this one is great, high quality. It was filmed in Los Angeles, and um, just really well done, but my guess is that it was just a performance to many of them. And this Christmas, is just going to pass us? Are we going to really embrace this Jesus as our Savior? Well, I want to close the message the way, same way that Handel closed the first part of the Messiah. And this is the last opera that you're going to have to watch for, for a while, hopefully. Kind of feel like as I preach, it's kind of interrupted the flow of my preaching and all. I'm just trying it just to vary it up. You'll remember, you'll, you'll always remember. The kids will probably remember what opera singing is. This is your last, this is your last goes. If you like it, you can watch it at, at your home, whatever. But it has been good for us just to familiarize ourselves with this. But this is how he closed um, his Messiah. He closed it with the words of uh, Matthew chapter 11. 
when Jesus said those famous words, he said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and I will give you rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, there's, there's not a lot necessarily Christmas to this, but it is a big summons. It is the summons of Christmas to, to come to Jesus. This, this is Jesus right in the middle of his ministry. It's, hard, it's almost the only slice of his ministry we, we get. It's just him pleading people to come, to come. Anyone who's weary and heavy late, we'll just listen to it. And again, it's just, it, this one's a little bit longer, but going through all these, all these words. So let's play it, Nathan. Jesus. And notice who he writes it to. He doesn't write it to the wise and to the intelligent. For he says in verse 25 that God has hidden it from the wise and intelligent. But he, he gives it to all who are weary and heavy laden. All who know the, the burden of your, your sin. It, it says, he says, it says, all of you who know that you need salvation, come to me. All of you who are weary because of your labors, all your strivings, all your striving, just, just come to me, is what Jesus says. And then in verse 29, he gives the second command of three, to come to me, take my yoke upon you. A, a yoke is a symbol of service. It's what we put over, over animals so they can pull the ox cart 
uh, or, 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 or carts or plows or sleds or something. It, it's so strange that Jesus says, put my yoke upon you. You're heavy burden, so here, take another burden on your shoulder. And yet the promise is, the end of verse 30, that the choir said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So he's saying, take off whatever burden you have because my burden is much better. I've got a, a light burden for you, which isn't, isn't encumbered by, by so many rules and regulations. It's in free by grace. So come to me, whoever sees that they're heavy laden, and take off that heavy yoke and put on this light, easy yoke, which means salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And, and then it means, in verse 29, to learn from me. Basically, it's an, an invitation. He's saying, learn. He says, I'm gentle, and I'm lowly of heart, and I will give you rest for your souls. Jesus calls his followers to be learners. That's why, right, we focus on the scriptures. We want to learn the Bible. We want to teach the Bible to your children, right? We'll be learning from God. We want to be followers of Christ to be disciples. We want to, want to be discipled by Jesus. We want to follow in his ways because he is a, a worthy one for worship. He is humble and lowly of heart. That's why we, we gather together. That's why we pray. Because we want to know and learn about Jesus in every respect because we're following after him. We've got his, his yoke upon us, which is a, a light, nice yoke. So my question really this morning, is he your Savior? Is he your Christ? Is he your Lord? I just say come to him this Christmas season if, if you haven't. Let's come to him. Let's, let's pray. Oh, Father, I, I thank you for Jesus Thank you that he's the one that takes our, our burden away. Thank you for this rendition of, of Messiah. Just that, that Handel put together in musical form that we might think these words as, as music as a way to help us with memory because it comes more slowly. We can read things quickly, but songs must be sung slowly and again and again and over and over and you get a tune in your mind. I pray that these words might be in the minds of all of us. Father, that we would... I just reflect upon Jesus and the joy, the good news, the great joy that comes, how we need to rejoice along with the daughters of Jerusalem and Zion because our King is coming, and He has come this Christmas day. You know, though he's, he's come as a baby, He will come again as a, as a warrior this next time. He came as a lamb. He will come as a, a lion. Father, I, I pray that all of us here today would find peace with Him. God, it just takes Christmas and explodes it with joy and uh, magnitude and happiness. So, Lord, I pray also tonight as we ponder just what it is that Mary treasured up in her heart, as we, we think about the, the realities of Christmas, uh, God, sink these things deep into our hearts, that we have Emmanuel, God living with us, full of grace and truth. And in that, O oh God, we do rejoice. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.